Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the Alan Wake Book Club. We're here to talk about, um, let's see, what do we got? The Signal and the Writer, both of the DLCs for the original Alan Wake. Um, once again, I am uh, your host, Lance. We got Adam. Hey. Ben. Hello. And Mike. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, so, so before we get into it, I do want to give a shout out to uh, Enemy Club Scene. Uh, thank you for letting us know about the Widowmaker. Uh, he said, "Is a Widowmaker is a term for a dead branch in a tree, which is what I believe the Taken Logger was referencing." So I know we talked about that in an earlier episode. So, uh, Enemy Clubhouse, thank you for the comment, and more importantly, thank you for saying you love the podcast. I think that motivated all of us to come back and figure out how we can record another one. So, thank you. Uh, but with that, uh, let's let's jump into the signal. I guess before we before we start, any any thoughts anyone wants to give kind of coming off of Alan Wake, uh, going into the signal, Alan Wake ended on the strong, you know, it's an ocean, not a lake. Uh, anything before we jump in or just want to start, start with the, the intro. Technically uh, yeah. it's, yeah. it's not a lake. It's an ocean. You know, it's, <laughs> it's fine though. It's fine. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what you guys are expecting, but when it just opened straight into like where it opens, like I was surprised. I thought, I kind of thought that we might, uh, with like the way Alan Wake ended, it it ended on this the the town and like the town rebuilding. Um, so when this started, I kind of felt like going back in time, like a little bit because, um, it felt like you already kind of saw like weeks and weeks later at the town when this is probably not weeks and weeks later, um, which I thought was interesting. I I I have not played the DLC before. This is like first time for me, um, and I was surprised that it was not like further along in the timeline yeah yeah i agree with that uh but at this point let's uh let's listen to it previously on alan wake something i only know as the dark presence held my wife captive and used to write a horror story I'll that came true i'll bring her back some part of me had been aware enough to write my escape into the story alan i saved alice and wrote a better ending for the story but not without a price. I was trapped somewhere in the dark place, a strange zone somewhere beyond our world. It's not a lake. It's an ocean. After the completion of any difficult undertaking, there are mixed emotions. Accomplishment and relief. Sadness, depression. For a while, everything was about the work. Like an illness that consumed you, changed you. You locked yourself away from the world to do it, and now you need to recover. Learn to live without it. Find a way to crack open the door and let the light back in. I knew this place. It was familiar. But wrong somehow. Yeah, so that's how it kicks off. I mean, Mike, I think you nailed it with... It is... And kind of what he said, you know, it's familiar, but yet it's not, right? Yeah, and um, I mean, we 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 did a lot of uh, theory crafting, kind of on like what would come next after Alan Wake, and I think that at least personally for me, opening back up on this and being like, oh, like is like is this still a dark presence? Like it, you know, he his voice suffers a lot of like reverb or or some sort of audio fact check when he says it's an ocean. Um, and, and then it's like directly into, um, we have taken, we don't have taken, but we have like the, uh, the, um, I don't know what you would call it, but like, there's like, there's evidence of like the taken still. And it's still like this weird, bizarre world. Um, it just was not, it definitely was not what I was expecting. The first like follow up to Alan Wake would be, I was not kind of expecting this, uh, almost like this it felt like a reset for me it felt like we we're back to the back to the start yeah it was not as cheery of an opening to the oh dear diner as we were in the first one uh to your point all the um like the the faces were kind of messed up i think they were faded but you did you did everyone you had rose you had the anderson brothers back there you could still play the jukebox uh even cynthia kind of weaver made an appearance um but yeah it was definitely it was definitely creepy one thing that I kind of like about it is that with the kind of ambiguous way that it opens up, like you say, it feels kind of like a reset, but I 
really find it interesting that like it did say that he wrote like you know happy ending to the story it kind of shows a little bit of that flashback but it's really unclear how or like what at what point this is happening right like you know it's after the main game but there's not like any kind of indication as how much time has actually passed just that, yeah. that he knows that he saved his wife wrote a happier ending and now he's just trying to figure out what the hell's going on at this point so i think it's kind of uh fun that it makes it a little bit more ambiguous as to like you know when this could be happening um stuff and uh, can't talk about control yet damn it okay well yeah <laughs> it just it makes it interesting especially considering like what 10 years have gone by since the game came out that they potentially could find story reasons to have this happen at any point and no mm-hmm. random thought right yeah it, it um like to me personally like oh you know as far as like the story is concerned or, or like the the arc of alan wake um whereas the first game is is ending on a, on a very triumphant note where alan is gone but like the dark presence was defeated and like we see the town and 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 we get kind of a hint where you know we see um the fbi nightingale and we see um the waitress and they, they're kind of they kind of look off but it, but it definitely you know coming out of that end i do feel like the arc like what you're saying just with you know how it kind of starts it did feel almost like oh we didn't actually defeat um the darkness maybe or, or i don't know it was it was kind of set up in a in a different way yeah i want to add to that you brought up something i didn't think about so if we're still in like um the darkness right we're in alan's in in the lake he's being consumed so that would make sure this town is doing its thing but you brought up an interesting point it doesn't explain rose and nightingale because presumably they're in the real world right and i just you know i didn't even think about that so that may be you know carried over later yeah and then you know and, and um you know and in the scene he he makes his way to the to the bathroom i don't know if you have something i that. do i do okay. i do have that audio Let, let's let's jam to that real quick alan listen to me go no deeper what focus you're losing yourself i will try to help the best i can but it's up to you find a better point of contact what do you mean i cannot hear you please you're the one making all this happen concentrate this is what's happening nightmares too deep can't take the pressure it's too much suddenly Wake found himself face to face with himself. At the sight of myself, the dream suddenly became lucid. The dark place, that's where I was. You will need weapons. It's not the light itself, but what it represents. You will need it. This is not a gun. It is a tool in a logical process of elimination. Be careful. I will try to find a better point of contact. I didn't understand Zane's message, and knowing where I was didn't fix anything. Something had gone wrong after I had finished departure. Okay, Mike, so we played that. What are your thoughts? What, what were you um, What were going to say before? So, yeah, so I, you get this scene and, and it it, he lays out uh, Tom or Zane lays out some some of uh, the facts, I guess, where he says, "Hey, you're losing yourself. Don't go any deeper." He starts to uh, create this this idea that this is kind of all in Alan's head, which you know kind of resets like where we think everything is. It it does still feel, at least to me, it still feels like there's darkness infected. Like somehow Alan has touched the darkness, or the darkness is now within him. Or you know, there's still like something that he has to get over. Um, the tool in a logical process of el- elimination line is a very interesting thing because I don't think he ever, we don't ever really talk more about that idea, uh, at least in, in this episode. And and nobody ever really calls the gun that. And I, I'd be interested in what other people think about it. I mean, because I've thought about it a little bit, and I mean, process of elimination is just kind of an iterative. Um, I guess method. I don't know what else to call it, but you know, you just like you're just eliminating answers one after another, and that kind of seems like a very um, literal, I guess, like taking of that line. We were like, you are eliminating solutions, and like if you want to call the taken solutions, you're eliminating one them one by one. But I'd be interested if somebody else has like a better uh, take on that line because it's very cool sounding. But once I thought about it 
beyond just how cool it sounds, I was like, oh, I, I don't know if I really like how literal this this is. It is a very uh, Sam Wake line or a Sam Lake line for sure. Um, I don't know. It it was more or less like a further indication that the things that Alan is using where he is now are not actual things and he's not in an actual place. They're all ideas. Uh, so it's not a gun because he doesn't have a gun. Uh, but it's described in the way that you might describe a gun, like in a, in a figurative, like if you pull out, what is a gun like in your mind, if you're eliminating things that don't actually exist, um, you know, it's not the flashlight. It's what the flashlight represents. It's not a gun. It's what the gun represents. Um, and, and again, it's just sort of like indicating, I think that, uh, Alan is more or less trapped in his own head. So to continue with that, Ben, I mean, what did you think when he said um, it's not the light, it's what it represents to you? What, what does what does that mean? What does the light represent? Uh, I mean, I, th I think if you look at sort of what the light is used for in in the entire episode, it's all, uh, you know, it's usually associated with um, like hope or like something to work towards or or things that burn away like the darkness, like the the okay. actual darkness and also just like the figurative darkness uh you know light's always associated with thomas zane he's you know constantly projecting light uh that's sort of where you're moving towards uh at all at all times mm -hmm. um with uh with the words it's also the like main vector of creation too where it's like all the creation otherwise in alan wake is done subconsciously which is kind of what he Thomas is saying he's like you're doing all this, but like you don't have control. But the but the light he does have control over, and he you know particularly will hit certain words. You know that's one of the main mechanics of this is is picking out you know which words you want to to light up, which I thought was an interesting side effect as well. Is that it becomes like his vector of like subconscious control over the environment. Well, what, what's also interesting about that is that uh, in this episode specifically, um, the the words and the and the process that he's using to to create use, using this light to to focus on the words and, and create things are, are all coming from manuscript pages that Thomas Zane has, um, and is sort of doling out in specific situations uh, to help Alan. Like that, that's how you're creating is from manuscript pages that theoretically he's already written. Uh, which is, you know, well, you, you get to it later on in in the writer where where that mechanic sort of changes. But yeah, I was gonna say just you know now that we're talking about the pages, just uh, I know we're not to the writer yet, but <clears throat> he sure uses the word bridge a lot in his writing. Apparently, see that that word comes up everywhere. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam, any thoughts on uh, the gun or the flashlight and the references? Yeah, I mean, like pretty much what Mike said, like. You know, it's not the light, but it's what it represents, and what it represents is creation. Um, and mm -hmm. to an extent, the gun represents the uh, yeah process of elimination, right? So like, he's using the light again, exactly like Mike said. That's a, right where my thought went was that it's a literal act of creation. That's what he's doing, and he has more control over it because he is in his head. But as far as place goes as well, he is in his head. Like I, the signal and the rider both take place in his own mind, which gets described more, I think, in the writer, or later in this one as well. But he is still in the dark place as well. Or, and I've, I think it's in the last chapter of the main game that... I, I, for, I feel like it's said somewhere, and I, I could be way off base as far as like where it happens, but that the dark presence isn't the only thing that lives in the dark place. It's just one of many. It's this very kind of like Lovecraftian, cosmic, horror kind of cosmology type thing right where there's more than one thing that lives here and so that could help explain like you know why even though the dark presence is gone he's still in this place where other things exist and that's why there's still this like him raving like a crazy person in the bathroom um a couple things i did want to touch on though when you're going through the diner to get to the bathroom um i find it really interesting that like it was mentioned there's a lot of like feedback and there's scratch uh scratching throughout some of the things that they say, um, which could be the origin of Mr. Scratch, makes me think that Ooh. it's very possible that this is a Mr. Scratch is like a creation from this kind of environment, and it does get touched on a little bit uh, later in the writer as well. 
Uh, but I think it's really interesting that they established that here already, and I think that they do reference it somewhere in like chapter six as well. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. The but other Mr. thing that I wanted Scratcher. to bring up, uh, I think I think Mr. Scratch is mentioned. Yes, he is. They they actually show him. Yeah, Zane, Zane then, introduces uh, them to each other. And then in the bathroom, um, after you get like the flashlight and the gun, uh, mm-hmm. the stalls, like you can actually open one, and there's graffiti on the back wall that says Mira was here. I have no idea what that meant, so I was just actually looking it up, and apparently it's a Max Payne reference. That in Max Payne one and two, there's like this TV show uh, called Address Unknown: A Descent to Madness, which looks like it has Sam Lake uh, in a very fancy kind of role here, and apparently. Uh, yeah, it's like this pretty much, the, there's a character in that named John Mira, who's like a serial killer who's tormenting the protagonist of the show called John. So apparently Mira is here as a Max Payne reference. Mm-hmm. So I figure it's worth kind of pointing that out. It's kind of fun. Well, talking about TV shows, yeah. kind of as you leave the bathroom, you're back into the Oh Dear Diner, and there are TVs everywhere. And that's kind of like, <laughs> you you figure out that's like the main communication of, you know, the crazy Alan Wake to the, if you want the our protagonist in our game, Alan Wake. And I wasn't sure if there's anything, you know, deeper through the TV. I mean, it was Bright Falls, and that was kind of the main communication there. I don't know if a writer using a TV is considered, like, if Alan's, like, an authentic writer. If a writer writing for TV is considered, like, cheap. And maybe there's, like, the crazy writers going through there, because a real writer would have maybe done manuscripts left around or something like that. I I don't know if I'm reading too much into that, but I, I do like that crazy... There's so many TVs when you walk back out. It's definitely off-putting. Well, it's like a major motif sort of in not only in the main game, uh, which is like the primary way that you're you're discovering things that happened to Alan in the past when he's when he sort of sees the video footage of himself uh, writing the, the book that he's that he's living. Uh, in this one, it's like again, like it's a vector of communication between Alan, but this time it's Alan sort of in the present uh, speaking to himself. Uh, but it's an interesting motif for sure because, um, like, he's a writer, like you said, and like, there's not a whole lot of like obvious reasoning, I guess, for why they would use televisions, other than sort of like it's a very good aesthetic. Do you do you think, um, just as a side note, do you think that that it works both ways? That during the main game, when you see Alan in the TV, I know that you're seeing him in the past, but do you think that it's possible that you're seeing him? literally in the lake like in the darkness and we're now when you're looking through the tv you're again seeing the instead of seeing instead of seeing the fake alan wake you're seeing like the real one or like vice versa i guess does that make sense well i think at at all times you're seeing the real alan wake yeah in the tv so i was what i was thinking is like in the main game he writes when he's writing through the tv or when he's writing inside the tv and you're seeing the the real life actor. Um, I was wondering, uh, I'm trying to think. Well, I guess, I guess they're still in the same place because they're still inside Devers Isle. So this is like, yeah. they're, yeah, they're still operating in the real. I mean, in both situations, they're in Bird Lake Cabin inside, you know, the yeah. lake, inside Cauldron Lake. So apparently there's just like a whole bunch of creepy nanny cam set up in that cabin, whatever it's in the lake. I don't know. But... The aesthetic is good. Yes. Yep. Good aesthetic. It is interesting to note as well that most of the communication does happen through the TVs rather than the manuscript pages, which you already mentioned. Like manuscript pages do kind of come in, but it, in my opinion, it's like really unclear if they were written by Alan or if they were written by Thomas Zane, because we already know that Thomas Zane has written stuff for Alan in the past, passed it off as some of his own writing, and that those written pages do have power to influence reality. And so, it, and I think I've talked about more in the writer as well, so I don't we don't have to go into it here, but. Yeah, it's a good observation very early on. So get on you. Yeah, so as you leave the diner, instead of going out the front door, there's this side door you go out of, and then you're you're in the forest. It was definitely it's like um when I first did, I was like, I don't know, this doesn't seem right. I know clearly it's, it's not right, but it was like this is weird. Now I'm just in the forest running around doing some combat. Uh and then I th- believe it's Zane who say, Hey, you know, go to go to this house over here. And in the house, he wants you uh, to get. He wants you to get a better signal. Oh yeah, Can you hear me right, now. Ah, <laughs> oh, good. Damn, placement. Yeah, I know. We always joked about all these energizer 
And Isn't Verizon it straight up a Verizon phone, phone that he pulls out? Straight up, it is a Verizon phone, phone with a Verizon ad. Can you hear he, me now? Yeah, he's literally There's like, so many Alan, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Can you hear me can now? Hear me? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah, see, so you get this. Like, oh, I wonder if the GPS still works in this. Of course it does. You're on yeah. America's fastest wireless network. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the most most 4G on your sweet Motorola phone. <laughs> I think this is a, as good a time as any to uh, say that we are sponsored by Verizon, by the way, on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give them free advertising. Yeah. <laughs> I, look, if they want to give me a free phone, I'll take it. You know, yeah, what, I'll make it up to date if Verizon will pay me. Um, but I, at this point, this is where you start seeing uh, words, right? I think you find your first manuscript here. And you're starting to see words that appear. And the flashlight turns those words into objects. And so that, as we kind of brought up earlier, that's kind of the theme uh, for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because um, you sort of, you start off in the diner and then you you like flash forward to sequentially like a very different place because it's not like he's moving through his memories sort of in order of them happening uh, because you flash forward to like the the area where you were with Barry um, Mm -hmm. and you were like headed towards like the helicopter or something. Uh, so it's sort of like it serves two purposes really because you know there's the there's the narrative reason which is that you're sort of you're in Alan's jumbled memories and the dark places pulling from these things to create these areas uh, but also like they don't want to make a whole bunch of new stuff for the game so they can kind of reuse a lot of the assets that they already have <laughs> and sort of test out some um like different gameplay mechanic stuff like with the like with the the words like the creation of of objects and and uh all that stuff um so it's like interesting because it's like it's definitely an experimental dlc like in a lot of ways because they're trying a lot of different things and you sort of see that concept mature in the second one um but yeah another thing that i want to point out about this section is it has very heavy silent hill vibes Right, it's like you've got this crazy kind of fog effect going on that I don't really remember there being that when you're playing through this section of uh, Bright Falls in the main game. But also, like the way that the road is torn out just reminded me quite a bit, like Silent, pretty much like every Silent Hill, because the road's always fucked and there's always fog. But so that was kind of fun. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it made me made me grin. Also, another thing that you notice in this area, if you look at some of the missing posters or up in like the storefronts, the missing posters all have. Alan Wake's face on that. I mean, like, there's one that has a cat, I think, but Alan Wake is now on the actual missing person's posters as well, which I just thought was kind of uh, Oh, that's super cool. I was looking for something like that, and I didn't see it, and I'm <laughs> glad that you saw it, because I was like, oh, that's exactly what I would have wanted to see. I did notice that our favorite parade uh, car comes the the deer parade vehicle. Deer fest, come on. Yeah, now. come yeah. on. Yeah, so what are you doing that? We have these, the, you know, the, the crazy cars are you know, right when you exit that house that you've gone across the forest, you're right back in Bright Falls. Um, and you guys talked about kind of these Easter eggs. Uh, one thing I really like. No, I mean, I speaking of Easter eggs, there's something else that came to mind, but I don't mean to. Oh, you mean you all the awesome please. standees that are all around? Like for, yes. Uh, for Importantly, st- Sarah Breaker standee. You're going to say exactly yeah. what I'm going to say, I'm pretty oh sure. Oh my God, I'm so happy about it. Okay, sorry. You you do it, Ben. You do it. I've talked a lot. No, please continue. I want to see if we're on the same wavelength. All right. So Sarah Breaker Sandy has this little bit about how she was writing about being part of like you know the sheriff office as well as a secret society, and her book that she wrote was called uh, "The Only Girl in the Bookhouse." Right there. Which is fucking <laughs> Twin Peaks, man. Goddamn Twin Peaks. <laughs> he has both. <laughs> I saw that. I was and like, I, someone has to bring this up. <laughs> I, I squealed a little bit. It startled my cat. It was glorious. <laughs> it says it screenshot. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I love the red hot cop chick with the lightning fast boomstick. <laughs> like, hell yeah. Is that Army of Darkness reference? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I don't think I don't think boomstick is I mean, I think that that's pretty much the only boomstick used as a shocker yeah. reference. <laughs> but they're, they're definitely having fun with that. Um and as you're moving through, I mean, I, for, I know there's a section there was like a lot of a lot of combat. Uh, Zane keeps saying, "You, know, I will guide you. Find, uh, follow the signal." But the signal keeps shifting. Um, you know, you'll see like an earthquake, and all of a sudden your GPS on the map 
uh, moves around. And, you know, I think it kind of explains a little bit what's going on. I'm trying to follow your goddamn signal. The dark place is playing tricks on you. You're still going deep. I'm trying to guide you, but it's hard. What is this? I can help you if you just stop sinking. What? This is bullshit. It's happening again. Brace yourself. I was running after Zane, and he was telling me I was going too deep. It was ridiculous, but I was more scared than amused. I felt like I was being hindered by an unseen force in ways I couldn't fight. All I could do was keep going. So I gotta say, like I, I, I thought about that line when I was putting together the outline, the hey, you know, you're still sinking. And I didn't really know what like what that meant, right? I mean, because he's like still searching, um, and kind of even now after finishing it all. I'm not sure like the sinking part, at least maybe I'm missing it, and then kind of when he stops sinking. But what are you guys' thoughts on on that line and maybe what Alan's doing? at that point that he has to stop. So like, I think that while like Thomas Zane is trying to help you out, right? Like he's trying to get you um, centered and, and, and in control of your facilities. I think that just as, as a consequence of what the video game is, where you're trying to figure out what's going on, what you're doing is actually further believing in the narrative that of what the world is around you like if you notice like all of your objectives in the game are are furthering him into the town for him trying to like fight the you know the like objects fight, trying to fight like the taken he's fighting himself he's seen himself on the tv and so like everything that that you do in the game all these objectives i think are objectively more um creating more of an insanity because he's like violently fighting against himself whereas thomas saying like you need to chill out. Like you need to, you need to like center and like control yourself. Um, but I, I mean, that's what I kind of thought it was like, he, he's going deeper because he's like trying to figure it out. Um, it's just kind of the nature of, I think a video game. Okay. Well, another thing that I kind of, uh, notice is that it's all like diving references, right? Like going deeper, sinking, even to the reference to the pressure, it's too much. Like the further down you go in the ocean, the greater the pressure is. Um, so it could be reference. Like I think it's definitely like psychologically, he's sinking deeper and deeper into the darkness of himself because he was touched by it. But it, I mean, it could also be like he's physically sinking further into the dark place because I mean, like it is a lake. Well, I mean, it's an ocean. But I just think it's really interesting that you know Thomas Zane, the diver, is also making all these allusions to sinking deeper, like he's going further in the ocean. Just yeah, I, I think it's probably intentional as well. But I mean, it could have dual meaning, or it could just be. I'm probably reading too much into it, but, you know, it's something I kind of noticed. Yeah, hey, thanks, thanks for that, guys. You know, it definitely kind of having you guys explain it help, helps me understand a little bit more of what that meant. So I, I with that, I mean, we're still just kind of, you know, moving through town. I know you're going through some alleys at this point. Uh, you end up back at the uh, the church outside. Uh, I think this is the first one you see the memories word come up and uh, you shine light on that. And it's Sarah breaker. Cause I, I believe you try to go into the church and it's locked and then, you know, more flying stuff coming at you while Sarah breaker is uh, open, opening it for you. But it was, it was good to see that. And I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. And then once you go into the church, I believe there is another standee of, of our boy, Barry in the church another i'll put that i'll put that one for all of us to read again barry's lines like throughout this whole thing by the way like also very good like the barry that's in your head is a pretty good barry i mean i know it's not like the real barry but it's alan's interpretation of barry and it's just as valid i mean look let's read his description we're all gonna love this the literary agent with the constant ailment the frantic sidekick with the hectic rhetoric the owner of the most fashionable jacket ever made and the author of the indispensable guide to would-be agents everywhere. Blood from a rock when the goose starts gold bricking. <laughs> I just, God, I love this one. It's so good. <laughs> Never intended for publication. That's not the Wheeler way. <laughs> and then you go, uh, so uh, in the church, 
you go into the basement, and there are a lot of furnaces in this basement. I know it's to to kill, uh, kill the Taken uh, that that show up. It gets wild down there. Yeah, like you you accidentally focus your your beam down a hallway or something, and then shit's blowing up all around you, and things get crazy. Yeah, never have I not tried to shine my light on anything in the game so much as this point. Like run around my <laughs> flashlight pointed up in the air, using like Alan's peripheral vision to see what the hell's going on. Oh no, you do them all because then you get a trophy. <laughs> oh damn it! <laughs> all about uh, those achievements, man. What's the name of this achievement? Because I put like, hey, do all the furnaces like under the church? Is this like hell? Like, um, the church. It, uh, let me ch- let me check really quickly. I'm curious if it, if it references that. <laughs> I mean, going to church is hell, that's for sure. And if hell does exist, it's fitting that it would be in the basement of the church as well, just like the theological thing. Cause, but. Um, One of the things I, I kind of realized um, really quick, with the standees, this is all happening in Alan's head. So these descriptions are not coming from the people themselves. So I think it's actually like indicative that this is Alan's kind of view of the people that he's interacted with, um, which I think is kind of interesting to note because some of the other ones, like when you find the standee for Alice or whatnot, like it's kind of... I think worth keeping in mind that this is all from his perspective, even though you're coming across and it's putting it in a way that sounds like, you know, Barry Wheeler did write it for pretty much everybody. Um, but it's all coming from Alan. So. Oh man, I, I didn't find the Odin Anderson one. That would have been before, uh, before this. Yeah. Moment. It was like you walk out, you walk out and then you turn down like a alleyway that you wouldn't turn down. Cause there's nothing down there. And then it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah, hidden in the corner somewhere. Yeah, just looking at it right now. Let's see. All right. What, um, what was in the basement of the church before in the normal Bright Falls? Was there anything? I felt I felt like because we, we go through the church and then we see, I remember, like a little altar room. And then out yeah, of that, but, is there anything? Why we go in the basement? Back, don't we? Yeah. No, I, th- I think you do go through the basement, but there's just like some wine racks. There's, the okay. ceiling is not near as high. Okay. Um, it's just like... What I imagine to keep the sacramental wine stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I it it would be. I mean, I, I guess it would be interesting if, if they were going for more of a metaphor there. But you know, pushing. Um, I don't know. I just I don't know if, uh, if there was anything more beyond the idea of like, hey, we want to do some furnaces and we're going to put furnaces in this room. Um, <laughs> you know, like yep. uh, I while I like the idea of there being like this kind of hell metaphor that starts to work its way into. The game, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of evidence outside of this one encounter for um for Alan kind of showing a you know uh, I guess a more uh technically correct hell as opposed to the uh, Lovecraftian horror he finds himself in most of the game. Yeah, I'd agree. So as you exit the church, we do come across our good friend Barry that is in your mind. Uh, <laughs> Let me play it like when we when we see Barry again. Barry, hey, bestseller, looking good. You, you, you're not real. Well, no shit. What gave me away? What the see-through thing? I'm a figment of your imagination, just like pretty much everything else you see here. Maybe even you. That's insane. Yeah, you're right. Everything that happened before made perfect sense, but this is insane. Good catch, Al. Okay, okay. Look, I gotta get going. The GPS. The GPS, yeah, I know. Follow the signal. Got it. So, anywho, I'm here to help you. The thing is, you need to get a grip, right? You nag the way the real Barry does. You know that? Well, hey, you know, be fair. It's not my fault you think I'm annoying. I don't think you're annoying. Ow, baby, relax. It's cool. Just try to stay on the ball here. You need to do what Zane tells you. He's been here for ages. He's like the expert. Anyway, if this is insane, and it's all from your mind, what's that say about you? Fine. Enough. I can't believe I was actually happy to see you. (laughs) Oh, come on. Don't shit a shitter, Al. Deep down, you're always happy to see me. Can't lie to yourself, know what I'm saying? I must be a sucker for punishment. You? No, really? And I always thought you went out of your way to avoid trouble. Thanks. Thanks for that. But there we go. Barry's back. Um, 
and it's it's really fun having him back. I mean, Barry was one of my favorite parts of the uh, the main game, just because he's so different from everyone else. While everyone's like kind of downer, and oh my gosh, there's something going on, or everyone's a suspect. Barry is just Barry, and he just like brings it here. And it's funny. I mean, some of the things he says, and he's referencing his own mind. It's like you know, I'm not really Barry. Uh, I am like who you think Barry is. I think he even calls Barry annoying. He's like, look, you made me this way. This is what you think of me. I don't know like what you want. So ah, it's just great Barry being Barry. And I think even um, kind of as you're, you do more traversing, at some point they say, oh, there's like the, the sawmill. And he's like, well, how, how did you know about that? I didn't. Maybe you knew about that. Or maybe I just made it up. It's all in your head. We're bonding. That's <laughs> one of the things I wrote down. It's it's just, it, they, they do play with that sort of a little bit, which is like it, it, they recognize that you're sort of going through Alan's memories. And so they, they will regularly talk about the fact that like is is what's coming up now like an idea that was already here or just the fact that you thought about it? Did it create that it was here? Um, and like that kind of stuff is fun because it's like you're using these words to create things. And it, it sort of reminds you like, hey, you're not in a normal place. and. Uh, things are weird here well i think it's really indicative of the entire premise of alan wake as well it's that you go to these like places of power and like your words literally do have power like you the entire thing is that, like alan is having a direct influence over reality by what he's writing and so it's just kind of interesting to see like where it's almost like it's trying to explain a little bit like where that ability is coming from in this place like if like how that creative process works it actually translates into where things are like coming from that then translates to how it's going to affect reality. Is it coming from Alan himself or it's like a subconscious kind of thing that's being put there possibly by the dark presence? Like how does he know some of these things like the Biltmore sawmill? Um, it just, it makes you kind of question a little bit, like where is some of this coming from? Is it all internal or is there maybe an outside influence that's playing on it? Um, a lot of it seems to me to be sort of like an internal struggle. Like a lot of the things that the, the crazy Alan and the TV will say is, uh, is like uh very like um self-denigrating like he spends a lot of time uh harassing himself about things that he knows about himself uh other characters will sort of harass alan about things that alan's aware of uh like the the not so great parts of himself and we, we kind of get the feeling or at least i got the feeling that it's pretty clear that um like alan wrote departure he finished it so the story from the main game is over alice survived she escaped uh, and he's sort of in in the dark place now, and I don't think he's actively in the act of of writing anything right now. Um, it's all all the words that you're finding, all the words that you're using are used by or are manuscripts from Thomas Zane. Um, and you, they're not even manuscripts that you get to read; they're just they just create words. Uh, so, so, yeah, bridge. <laughs> Bridge. But it is worth noting that Thomas Zane is also in the dark place. Like he never left. So it's entirely yeah. possible that he is still alive. And they do talk about that a little bit more in the writer as well. So, I mean, like, is it possible that maybe Thomas Zane's interactions in his creative process, because he was a poet, he was a writer, if that is also having an influence? Maybe it was Thomas Zane who knew it was Biltmore, and that's having an influence as well. Hmm? Maybe? I, I don't know. Well, I have no answers. One thing I'll say, one thing I noted down, especially at this part, is is this kind of what insanity is, right? We have Crazy Allen. And insanity is like, there's a little bit of truth, right? And it's just clouded in all this, like, how do I know even what's happening? There's just something there. Seems to be true. I got crazy shit happening on the kind of on the kind of either side of me with people attacking me. Is this is that like insanity and he's kind of powering through it? That's, what, that's one thing I noted down. They, like, there's a crazy person that's writing it and communicating with them. He's just living in a crazy world. So this is the only sane part in this world of insanity. Well, I think the thing that's really interesting is that he's like, it's 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 important, I think, to note that he's actually not writing anything. He's just uh, sort of on the floor of the cabin, uh, like cradling himself. Um, so so all of, all of this internal struggle is entirely internal. Um, mm -hmm. He's not sort of acting upon the world around him and creating anything. It's all sort of happening uh inside of himself, which is why a lot of it deals with Alan's own insecurities about um, himself and his self-doubts and his uh, sort of like all of his demons that have been 
regularly hinted at throughout the game, uh, but are sort of like taking center stage here. Yeah, and I, I also think that just as a as a note to all of this, like I mean, Allen's in a position where um, pretty much like any thought that he has can be made into reality, like just by having it. Um, and so I think that anybody in that situation is going to develop, you know, some sort of like issue uh, dealing with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's a phenomenon called call of the void, which I, I just looked up to find the actual name of, but it, it's that idea when like you have these um, intrusive thoughts of like doing something very dangerous or very hurtful to yourself or to others like, like crossing putting, the center line when you're driving yeah or like putting an object in like an electrical outlet or, or sticking your hand into the garbage disposal and like and a lot of people i think most people have these have these thoughts but you know it's imagine you live in a world where like those type of thoughts can be made into reality um just like by having them so i, I think that you know he's in a very he's in a space where he is fighting himself but also like just individual thoughts can be weaponized against him just for having them. Yeah. Well, and when you put it that way, it actually makes it like even more terrifying. Cause if you have like intrusive thoughts or things that are just kind of like, you know, I tell you not to think about an elephant and you're going to think about an elephant. Right. So like with, with how that happens, especially if you're already kind of like having a psychotic break, which essentially is what's happening in both of these episodes. Like it really does make you wonder, like this is possibly more threat than he was under at any point during the main game because it's just him in his own mind. And that can be a very scary place to be stuck, especially if you've got like a lot of other trauma and demons you're carrying along with it. So it's kind of a interesting thought to uh, look at it that way. Don't jump off buildings. That's the main thing. (laughs) If you get to a high point, do not jump off. Oh, but I think about it. I consider it. That's the important (laughs) part. Isn't that the whole like ghost ghostbusters? Like everyone clear your minds. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah so it's so you go to the sawmill you you work your way through it uh you you go through a kind of a cityscape of bright falls but you climb up on a roof and then kind of as you're in a, a chimney you you hear flashing uh light i think he asked like hey zane is that you um but it is not it is alice and is an interesting piece of dialogue in the game hey hold that pose that was a good one. Like this? Yeah, but smile a little more. No, that's too much. You want to look mysterious, maybe a little tough. You know how people go for those dangerous bad boys. But I'm not dangerous. Oh, come on. You write about terrible things all the time. People want to think that you're intimately familiar with them. You kill Casey in this book. You need to look a little bit like a murderer. Oh, that's good. Do that again. You look handsome. And dangerous. You know, I wasn't sure about the beard before, but I was wrong. It looks good on you. Okay, I think we're done. Great. I want to get out of this suit. Hey, things are looking up. (laughs) Guess danger is sexy. (laughs) That was when I was still working. When I felt like a real writer instead of a fraud. It was a good memory. I wished I hadn't seen it. Yeah, I, I like that. And kind of, I guess what Adam was saying about like the torture of your own mind of being stuck in there. I mean, we have all these scary things and maybe that's like a different form of mental torture. Of, like, you're not the person who you think you should be. It's like, when I was a fraud, wish I hadn't seen it. Good times with Alice before they were fighting. I guess that was before his his his, his last book he released because it said he kills Casey in this book. But, I don't know. I like that one because it was uh, just kind of a... a Throwback to the earlier times, or I guess what less- suit? <laughs> yeah, I think I do think it's funny that he hates the suit that he spends the entire game. In. Yeah, because he looks the same. <laughs> he's like, yeah. he's like, I want to get out jackets. of the suit. Yeah, <laughs> it's my formal tweed jacket, not my casual <laughs> tweed jacket. <laughs> and also, just love that line, like, look like a murderer. Oh yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is this the is there? this the memory that starts kicking off all of the sexy memories that he has with Alice, though? Because I I wrote that down. <laughs> Wait, what? There's like, like oh, yeah. there's like one or two memories where it's basically like they're like in bed together, like fooling around. This I is think, my side of the bed. Yeah, the next one is definitely the bed <laughs> one. I don't know. I don't remember the one after that off the top of my head. But yes, the next one is the uh, fooling around in the bed memory. All right. Well, there's another one after that, too. Yeah. Maybe, like, I don't maybe, need to maybe, see the sound. Like, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe I thought. mentally blocked it. I do have a clip. Loaded array to go, but I thought it was more Thomas Zane talking. But 
maybe it is like them being intimate, I guess. Alan, let's hop. Alan wake after dark. Yeah. Let's hop to it and see see what I missed, what I don't remember. Alan, you made it. This area of the dark place is calmer, at least for the time being. We can talk here, but we don't have much time. Zane, I don't want to get out of here. That's what you face. That's you, even as we speak. Darkness. Darkness coming! Swept him away. Lost! He knew. He knew! He couldn't hold on. He knew there was no way out. Oh! No! I'm right here, oh, Zane! What's going wrong? That's not me, it's just... Oh. I don't know, an echo, a hallucination, a dark presence. No. The Dark Presence is not responsible for this. You are making this happen. You're trapped in your own nightmares. You are fighting yourself. Wake didn't understand it. He would never make it. He would never wake up. He'd get swallowed up in the rising tide of darkness. It was coming. It was coming. Shut up! No! Alan, you must be. Swept away by the gathering insanity. Zane was gone. Wake could feel the pressure, gnawing at his mind. The darkness wasn't so bad. It was in him. He felt it. He knew the voice spoke the truth. It was just too hard to think. He can't. Couldn't make sense of it. Couldn't. He wanted to go with the flow. Stop thinking and just let go. All right, well, that wasn't the memory you guys were describing. Uh... No. Not nearly as good. <laughs> uh, I, think it's like, I think the ones we're talking about where uh, you shine the light on the actual memory word and then it's like pops up with this really awkward audio bit. All right. Uh, but what do you guys take away from the, that Zane dialogue right there? Zane and Alan. Uh, it, it's interesting. Alan doesn't recognize. He still thinks he's in control and that he's like a person. Oh, it's not me. That's just an echo. Like, no. That's you. The darkness. It's important. The one line is the darkness is not responsible for what's happening. This is you. You are responsible for what's happening. The thing that immediately comes to mind is uh, the only me is me. Are you sure the only you is you? And now I'm sad because that game will never happen. But I mean, it, it kind of goes in that whole uh, denial um, aspect, right? Like mm-hmm. that's something that's brought up when Alan is talking with Doctor Hartman. Is Hartman saying like, "No, this is what's happening. You're just in denial about all of it." And this is just kind of, I think, uh, a furtherance of that, where Alan doesn't want to admit that, like, oh, shit, I'm, you know, raving on the floor. Like, no, I I am me. I am me. That, that's not me, because I'm here. But Zane's kind of, you know, putting out something to the contrary, which is uh, kind of fun. I like this now, because it's kind of like revealing the truth, right? If it's, because uh, we know there's a second act, we know there's a second DLC. So it's all, like, you're just shining more light on the story. So I really like the exposition here. And I, I like using Zane as that, uh, like, uh, oh man, what's the word omnipresent, like narrator where he, he kind of mm-hmm. knows what's happening. He's just trying to guide him. I, I like that, but Alan still has to, has to put in the work to, to figure it out or to break through. It is interesting because it kind of touches on sort of conversations that we had over the course of the game, which is like, who are we playing as and sort of what is what is Alan's role in the story? And in, in this DLC specifically, um, it's sort of addressing that head on. We're like, uh, Thomas St. Sheriff tells him like, no, like you are currently like on the floor, like having a panic attack or whatever. Um, and the Alan that we're playing as, uh, who doesn't have like a bandage on his head or anything uh, from the car accident, um, which is sort of like one indication that you can use to figure out sort of which Alan you're playing as, uh, is, is just an, the idea of Alan. It's, it's a, a manifestation of Alan's thoughts moving through his own head. Uh, but he's not like the Alan that we played as through the entire game. He's just like a part of him. I actually did not notice that. That is a very good catch. The end of this also really, really was hard. <laughs> it really sucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this part! I hated killing the TV. And this, yeah, the whole end of this episode was just rough. Like from a gameplay standpoint. Uh, oh, it was good though. Just took so much light and visually, you know, it was a very interesting boss encounter. Yeah, with the swirling well, visually, televisions and everything. Well, like I get the idea go behind back it. To the, oh, go ahead. 
No, sorry. No, you you go ahead. Yeah. I was going to just go back to kind of the, the original, like, if I'm a writer and I hate TV, now TV is the enemy because all I'm going to do is being attacked by TVs. <laughs> yeah. that, yeah, I mean, Bright Falls and his early communications were from that. So that, I mean, I keep going back to that and, you know, maybe I'm just a TV junkie and I assume writers are better about this stuff than I am. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. You, gotta, <laughs> you, you talk now well, about that's something smarter than my TV conspiracy. Well, when you when you say Bright Falls, you mean Night Springs? Like when we see those there we go, Night Springs. Episodes? Yeah, sorry, Night Springs. Okay. Yeah. Um, but what's really interesting during this encounter, like it's so easy to get focused in on like the oh shit, I'm getting killed by 15 things at the same time. That like the dialogue, like I had to play through it a second time and really start paying more attention to what's being said. So essentially, the boss encounter isn't the TV. The boss encounter is the part of Alan Wake's mind that is in denial about the whole thing. Hmm. It's like the aggressive part of Alan Wake's kind of like psyche that's trying to destroy the rational part and just give in. That's what you're actually fighting. Like the TVs are just kind of like a metaphor for the actual Alan on the floor trying to suppress this part of rational Alan. It's like, oh shit, maybe I am going crazy and maybe like that is me. And now I have to kind of like get to a point where I can rationally take control. Um, Because I mean, earlier in this episode, he talks about like, you know, once he made this realization, then everything became more lucid. He was in more direct control. The more he understands, the more he communicates with Zane the clear things become as far as like what he has to do and as far as what his role is. And so that's essentially what this boss fight is. It's just him fighting against himself to try and provide more control to get over that denial of what it is that is actually happening to him. That That's my take. Maybe that's the whole sinking deeper part now, right? But he's in denial. He doesn't accept that he's in, control he's kind of going with the flow he's like he's trying to fight against the current of it rather than figure out he's just trying to fight it so that's when maybe to the earlier point of him sinking deeper uh, is that uh but then yeah after you after you fight uh fight the boss or as kind of adam put it fight yourself uh we do have uh the ending there you go it's all in your head. You've been making it up. Really, way, really, way. Come on, your delusions. Your... Why is this happening to me? Why is this Kind of a downer of an ending. <laughs> oh, it sets you up for the second one. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, but you got a meal again. You're like, oh my gosh, where am I? Am I back at the uh, uh, the lodge with with him? Am I like, is is that the real? Then you see yourself on the ground, like twitching and crying, and yeah, no, I I. I know it's. It sounds like the consensus is you know people didn't like the signal. I actually I liked it and probably maybe maybe more than the writer. I thought it had good pacing as you were going through. I know there was some combat heavy stuff. I actually had more more issues with combat in the writer, uh, but I liked the signal. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting, maybe because it revisited a lot more of the first game. I, I like going back to that. But yeah, what are you guys closing thoughts on the writer? Or the signal, sorry, the signal. Um, I mean, I thought it was a little bit tedious with the combat. There's a lot of objects that were flying, and I and even though they gave you just a bunch of ammo and batteries, it, it always felt like it just wasn't quite enough for the stuff that was thrown at you. Um, I found myself downgrading the difficulty and then even like still dying and, and replaying sections. Um, but also this is the first bit of Alan Wake um that I've experienced uh new. Um, I had I'd played the original game before in the past, um, so I kind of knew what to expect. So it might just be that I you know wasn't prepared for uh, more combat. I think than than any episode has had so far. Ben, I mean, it was it, it's tasked with the unfortunate sort of uh, job to set up the the much stronger I think second episode. Um, there's a lot of sort of uh, like 
world building and and setting up the stakes and sort of getting you to a point where you understand where Alan's at in his journey. Uh, so there's actually like very little, if any, resolution to anything that happens in this episode. It's just sort of like, here's a bunch of stuff that's happening. We'll deal with it in the next one, uh, which is good in some ways. And there were some moments that I enjoyed. But as a whole, um, I sure am glad I am playing this like sequentially, like I can play the writer right after and get answers to all the questions that I had because, man, when I played it for the first time and it had just come out and then I still had to wait for the second one, it was pretty rough. Uh, Adam, any thoughts? Yeah, so I actually do like this episode. I think it's really interesting from kind of like the examining of the psychological, like, essentially drowning, right? Like, I mean, they pretty much hit you over the head with the illusions of this. Alan Wake is drowning, but it's kind of into its own subconscious, its own psychosis, right? So I, I really like how they touch on that. I think it's kind of an interesting exploration of what his personal descent into this kind of like craziness is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much like what this entire episode is doing. It's just showing like he's losing it more and more. Things are kind of crazy while he's trying to figure out what's actually happening to him. He's having to come to terms with certain thing. But I feel like at the end of the episode, it's kind of like he's finally been able to kind of arrest that descent and he's now kind of like reaching the surface or at least like on his way towards the surface. And then the next episode mm-hmm. is him getting out of the water, essentially, right? Like he's yeah. finally kind of, which we'll talk about uh, later. But so I think it's kind of fun for that, like, that it is kind of like you get a little bit more of his take on characters. You get more of Alan Wake's take on himself, which uh, you don't really get a whole lot of. You have other people's kind of opinions thrown on him, like from paparazzi to like, you know, even like some of Alice or what people tell him he is or the assumptions they make about who he is. Uh, so this is kind of like an inside peek into Alan Wake's mind and the way that he views himself and those around him, which mm-hmm. I like. Well, hey, I want to thank you guys for this this awesome discussion, right? I mean, we talked more about uh, the signal than I thought we were all going to. And uh, for anyone we listening... We talked longer than I the did... episode was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so at the beginning, we said we're going to do the signal and the writer. We're going to push the writer to another uh, another episode. So uh, yep. keep an eye out for that. Um, but I want to thank you, uh, thank you all uh, for listening. Uh, any closing comments before we do our outro? Uh, anybody? It's the real good song. Yeah. All right. Well, one of the, my favorite end songs. One of the good. best ending songs. It is. I, I really, I was like, this is dope. The next one's better, but I mean, Depeche Mode. So, yeah, yeah, it's fine. We'll talk about it. <laughs> well, hey, for the Alan Lake Book Club, I'm Lance. Uh, we got Adam. Simply hey. being was easy. Can you hear me now? Just having <laughs> you there. Good. All right. All See right. ya. And that is uh, the signal. Thank you all so much.
every day The secret codes and signs You and I, eye to eye Wake me up, hurt me, you have to Nothing could come between us then